Hello again, everyone. Uh, it's great to be with you and to open the Bible. And uh, hello to those joining us on the live stream as well. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Now, uh, it's, it's January, so that means lots of sport going on in Australia. Uh, we've got, the, uh, of course, the tennis and the cricket. And, and what I love about sports coverage is just the, the access that the media gives us now into like, the behind-the-scenes of the sport. So if you've been watching the tennis, you'll see they have those like cameras in the change rooms almost. You see the players walking around and talking and warming up. and that kind of, I love that stuff. It's like stalking these players. I think it's cool. Um, and the, the cricket, I love in the cricket when they put the microphone on the, on the player who's on the field and the commentators talk to him and you can find out what they're thinking and their plans and all that. Um, but I think my favourite uh, all-access in sport would have to be the winning change room of the uh, footy teams. Um, and uh, I've resisted talking about the Panthers' uh, three-peat, but here we are. Um, <clears throat> third grand final in a row. We, we got taken in to the celebration with the cameras in there and the photos, and we're invited to celebrate with the team. It's huge access, and all these things are like places that, that we've never been before. It's always been behind closed doors and hidden and private, but now we're, we're all invited in uh, to see this stuff, and it's great. Um, now, that is great, saying that, but, but what is better is actually something that Jesus does for us today in this passage that we just read. He takes us behind the scenes of heaven. He, he opens the doors on God and the angels, and we see them celebrating and rejoicing together in heaven. Jesus takes us there, and he shows us his celebration. And uh, celebration is good to think about that. Uh, what we celebrate shows what we love shows what we value, shows what we are working toward. For the Panthers, this was it. You know, it was, it was what they trained for. It's what they loved. It's what they wanted. And when they get it, they celebrate. And what does heaven celebrate? Heaven celebrates when sinners repent because that is what God wants. That's what he loves. That's what he is working toward uh, is the salvation of sinners. That's his heart. And passages like this that, that show us the heart of God are really good for us because they also show us our own hearts. It shines a light on our hearts and, and asks the question, do we have a heart like God's? Do we love what he wants? Uh, do we love what he loves? Sorry. Do we want what he wants? Are we seeking what he's seeking? Do, do we rejoice in the things that God rejoices in? One of all the things that, that you might love or enjoy or the things that you look forward to or you work toward, where does the salvation of sinners rank on that list? Well, that's the question that Jesus raises for us today through these two parables. Do we share God's love for the lost? And do we rejoice when sinners are saved? There's these two parables, and what's important for understanding parables is, first of all, the setting. So if you've got your Bibles there, have a look at Luke uh, chapter 15, and verses 1 to 3 are going to give us the setting to help us understand what's going on. So verse 1 says, tax collectors and sinners are all gathering around Jesus. Now, tax collectors, of course, were not like the respectable ATO employees that we have today, uh, which we love. The tax collectors in Jesus' day were despised and hated because they were Jews who had pretty much turned their backs on their people to work for the Romans and they would, they would not just pay the taxes to the Romans but they would steal extra from their own people so they were despised uh, 
And here is Jesus welcoming them. Normal Jews would, wouldn't have nothing to do with them. These are not good people. But here's Jesus welcoming, not just welcoming, but, but eating with them, which means he's displaying this open and warm fellowship with these people. And so, of course, the, the Pharisees, maybe the most respectable Jews, they're muttering, you know, they're grumbling, they're complaining about the way Jesus conducts himself. Right? They would never do that because they are righteous. And so they're sort of thinking, Jesus, he shouldn't be welcoming these people, he should be condemning them. So they mutter against him. And Jesus, of course, he is aware of, of the heart of the Pharisee and what they're saying. And so he tells these parables to them and to those kind of people. And in doing this, Jesus, he's not just explaining you know, what he's doing with tax collectors and sinners, but he's actually challenging their attitude, their proud and self-righteous attitude. And he's challenging that with the reality of God's love for sinners. And so this pair of parables, they're teaching us that, that same thing. And so we're going to look at both of them and then we'll, we'll draw out the meaning because parables are stories that demand an interpretation for understanding. And finally, then we'll think about well, what are the implications for us today as, as we read these parables? And so the first parable is, verse 4 to 7, the parable of the searching shepherd. Now you might, whoa, 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 you might be saying to yourself, Dave, isn't it the parable of the lost sheep? Anyone thinking that? No, it is the parable of the searching shepherd. Listen to how Jesus begins in verse 4. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So Jesus straight away puts people in the shoes of the shepherd. You own a hundred sheep, you lose one. Doesn't he leave the 99 and go after the one until he finds it? And Jesus is expecting everyone to go, yes, that is what we would do. We would go and find the one sheep that we lost. But then he comes to the surprising part in verse 5. This is probably not something that we would do. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Right, this, is, this is an over-the-top celebration. Okay, if you're doing your, your chips and chat sheet, draw a shepherd with a sheep on its shoulders rejoicing like this. Uh, he, he's lifting it up like a trophy in celebration. And not just that, but he invites everyone around to rejoice with him. Like, I've found my lost sheep. Could you imagine being one of the people invited? They're like, you know, why is Bill having a party? It's like, oh, he found his, found his sheep. Let's go. That's cool. <laughs> and so here we go. The... The, the first parable is the searching shepherd. Loses a sheep, searches for it until he finds it, then rejoice, uh, sorry, returns in joyful celebration. And then the second parable is like it, the parable of the searching woman. So this woman has ten silver coins uh, and loses one. Now, a silver coin was probably a day's wages, so a whole day's work for a silver coin, and she's got 10 of them, loses one. So 10% of her wealth lost. So she, she searches for it. And that is what we would do. We would search for that coin. Now, don't, when you're picturing this search, when I picture it, I sort of think, oh, nice, clean house, white tiles, down lights. You know, obvious. You find the coin two seconds. 
This is not that kind of house. This is a small, cluttered, probably no windows, so it's dark, dirt floor probably. This is a hard coin to find. And so what does she do? She, she searches carefully, uh, Jesus says there, uh, diligently, with, with great intent. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. And, and the, the picture that we're given is she's going to keep searching until she finds it. She's not going to stop until the coin is found. And then when she finds it, again, we get the surprise of this great, joyous celebration with others. Come and, and celebrate my coin that I found. And rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. Uh, and so parables are stories of everyday things that have that spiritual reality of the kingdom of God uh, attached to them, just underneath the surface. And so what is that? Well, I think we, we, we might know, if you've read the Bible a bit, you might know these, this lost sheep and this lost coin, they are representing lost people. Lost people. And a lost person is a, a sinner who is under the wrath of God. Someone who is facing that judgment from God who will perish eternally if they are not found. That is what we have seen through Luke uh, of the lost people. And, and being lost is a seriously dangerous condition to be in. Right, you think about just being lost generally as a person. If you're lost in the bush or you're lost at sea, that is a dangerous place to be. Pe- people die in those situations. Right, and so if you are lost like that, what is your hope? Your hope is that someone is searching for you. Your hope is that someone is out there looking for you. Now, being lost in sin is worse than that. We've got to understand that. Being lost in sin is far worse. It is more hopeless and more desperate and more dangerous. But the good news for the lost is someone has come searching for the lost. And that's the second point. And that is that the the searching shepherd and the searching woman, they represent God. We see in the shepherd and, and the woman, we see the heart of God. Both of them begin this search with the intent to keep going until they find what they are looking for. And that is the heart of God for lost sinners. And that is the heart of God we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And this is is, uh, Luke 19.10. This might be the theme statement of Luke's gospel when Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus left his throne in heaven with the intent... Of, of finding the lost and not stopping until it was done. And that is what he's doing when he gathers with tax collectors and sinners, is he is seeking to save the lost. This explains what he's doing. Right? This is also what took Jesus to the cross. Right? When he suffered the wrath of God against sin and took the punishment that we deserved... And he was seeking and saving the lost because anyone who believes in him, who, who turns from their sin to believe in Jesus, they receive the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And so the lost can be found. That is how Jesus came to find the lost. And then the third thing is like the shepherd and the woman rejoiced with their friends. Uh, that is how God rejoices when sinners are saved. And the ending of the parables, again, the beginning's important, the endings are also important, and they both end in this same way to tell us this. So verse 7, 
says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is where Jesus opens the doors of heaven and takes us behind the scenes and shows us how does God react when a sinner repents. And this is how how God reacts. Heaven rejoices. God and the angels uh, celebrate in victory when one person turns from their sin to believe in him. And what about the Pharisees? If we go back to them and we think about the people that Jesus is telling this parable to, what is Jesus doing for them? Well, he's inviting them into the celebration. Right? He's inviting them to share the joy of God in seeing sinners repent. I see, but the Pharisees, what were they, what were they doing? They were too busy condemning sinners right? when they should have been trying to convert them, just like Jesus was doing. And they should have been rejoicing when sinners repent, just like God does. And so as we read these parables today, Jesus does something like that for us as well. Uh, Jesus is inviting us to share in the joy of heaven. He's inviting us to align our hearts with God's so that, that we love what he loves, so that we would seek what he seeks, so that we would rejoice in the things that God rejoices in. But if you think about your own heart, you think, how easily is, is, is my heart captured by other things? Other things are so, so much less important. So, so much less important. But my heart is occupied with those things and it seeks those things and it works for those things. And so, so what then are the implications for us as we think about uh, wanting to align our hearts with God's? Well, the first one is uh, that we must, we must share the desire of God that the lost be saved. We must see that is God's desire, see that in his word. Uh, and we can see that. Uh, Peter tells us that God desires all people to be saved. He says, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Uh, and, and that is a desire we see expressed bodily in Jesus, uh, in the gospels, in his ministry. Uh, in, in verses like this, Mark 6.34 is one of them. Uh, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that compassion is talking about like a, a gut-churning uh, longing. When he, when he sees lost people, uh, he, he has compassion. He wants them to be saved. He wants them to know God. And then this desire of God's expressed through Jesus also uh, gets expressed in his disciples uh, that have the spirit of Christ within them. We see this in the Apostle Paul uh, in Romans 10 uh, when he says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Uh, this, is a, this is a longing of Paul's uh, that his people might be saved and know Jesus. And I wonder, is that your desire as well? Do you feel compassion for people that are facing eternity apart from God? Do you have a, a desperate and an urgent longing that they be saved? And now, if, if your heart is like mine, you'll know 
It's not always like that. We need help with this. But thankfully, there is help. There is help for us. And that is that the first thing we must do is we must pray for it. As we see it in God's word and see that our hearts are not aligned with that, we must pray that God would, would do that work for us, that he would transform our hearts to be like his. So you can pray that prayer. You can pray, God, make my heart more like yours. Uh, grow, grow in me a desire to see the lost saved. That is a great prayer for us to be praying. So that is the first thing. We must desire the lost be saved. And the second thing is when we have that desire, we then must seek to save the lost. It drives us to do something. Uh, and we see that, that God's desire was expressed through Jesus as he came to seek and save the lost. Uh, but here's the thing. Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost. The mission continues uh, Jesus sent his spirit into his people to continue the seeking, saving mission. Uh, if you read the book of Acts, you'll see the disciples are all kind of huddled in Jerusalem uh, after Jesus is risen, they've got the spirit, and then it just gets exploded out from there because the spirit of God is pushing people out to others to reach them with the gospel, and the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. And that same spirit of Jesus is in disciples today and it is pushing us out. It's pushing us out to family and to friends and to neighbours and to the ends of the earth still. And so it's good to ask the question, how am I involved in that? How am I seeking to save the lost as a follower of Jesus? Because we all know people in our life who don't know Jesus, all of us and probably a good number of people that don't know Jesus. Uh, and what are we doing to, to seek them and to reach them? Now, we're not all going to be those, you know, kind of extroverted evangelists that are, that are creating these opportunities, but uh, we can, all of us, be faithful seekers of the lost. And I've got three things that, that every Christian can do uh, without any kind of special training or gifting, just having that desire that they be saved, uh, three things we can all do. The first thing is to pray. And you might go, yeah, that's obvious. Well, the obvious things are also the things that we overlook uh, very quickly. Uh, but prayer is the most powerful and effect effective thing that we can do uh, for a lost person to be saved. Because it is God who opens blind eyes. It is God who gives his spirit and gives life. And so we must pray uh, for people to know him. So pray for the mission, pray for the spread of the gospel, pray for uh, your friends, pray God would open their eyes and bring them to himself. And also pray that God would use you in any way that he would amongst the people that you know. So firstly, pray. And the second thing is to invite. Uh, so to invite people to hear the gospel because faith comes through hearing about Jesus. There's no other way. Uh, I was reminded last week, Roger said, people come to Jesus on the arm of a friend. Because they get invited, saying, come and, come and meet this guy. Come and hear about this guy. He is the most amazing person. Invite people to hear the gospel. Uh, and look, of course, we can teach people the gospel ourselves. We can give the presentation, the two ways to live or something like that. But how often does that happen? How often do we get the chance to do that? What we can do all the time is be thinking about, how can I invite someone to hear the gospel? How can I invite them to church? Uh, and, and we've got a great little resource section on that notice board out in the foyer uh, that, that is there for this kind of thing. 
So it's got invitations to church, little business cards. You can take one of those, put them in your pocket, put them in your phone, and when you're talking to someone about church, say, hey, love you to come along, you're invited. It's also got books you can give to other people, books that explain the Christian gospel very simply. You can say, hey, we've been talking about this, how about you read this book, and we can have a chat about it. We've also got little tracks out there, those little very short uh, gospel explanations, two ways to live. Have those in the car, in the handbag. You can give them to someone, and they can read that. Uh, it, it might change their life. I heard of a person, a, a train guard, who would put them on the seats of the train, of the platform. Uh, probably nearly got him fired, but he wanted people to pick those things up and, and hear about Jesus. So we can be inviting people to hear the gospel. And then the third thing is that we can just, we need to ready ourselves. Right? Ready ourselves to share the truth of the gospel. Right, so know it yourself. Uh, rehearse it to yourself, preach it to yourself so you are very clear on on the truth about Jesus and do that so you're ready to tell someone else. Uh, Now I want to give you one way of thinking about that today Uh, and one thing I want to highlight is that how through the Gospel of Luke repeatedly um, he talks about repentance. Uh, Repentance is is the Gospel. Um, You see Jesus welcoming tax collectors and eating with them is not Jesus uh, approving of and accepting their lifestyle choices. Jesus met with these people and welcomed them in the hopes that they would repent. He would call them to repentance, to turn their lives around and follow him. And so I think a helpful way for us to remember the gospel, and you can take this one, is, is the ABC of repentance, the ABC of repentance. The first thing is A, uh, we must admit that we need to repent, right? Because repentance requires us to, to know our lives are heading the wrong way, right? When, when Jesus spoke about those righteous people who need no repentance, he wasn't saying that there's a type of person who doesn't need to repent because they're, they're good enough for God. Now, he was talking about uh, righteous people who, who think they don't need to repent, right? The self-righteous those who think they have no need because they are good enough for God already, like the Pharisees. And because all of us sin, all of us need repentance. And the first step is to admit that, admit we've rejected God, admit we deserve his judgment, Uh, admit we deserve nothing from him except that. That's the first step. Then when we are admitting, the B is for believe. So in admitting our sin, we see Jesus who died for our sin. Right? And so we turn to believe in him. We believe his death paid the price for our sin. We believe that he suffered the punishment that we deserved. Right? We believe that there is therefore now no condemnation for anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then once we have uh, believed in him, uh, we commit ourselves to going his way. So this is, this is the new way of life. Like belief is not uh, just like fireproofing ourselves for judgment or just taking out some insurance for eternity. It's not, it's not like that. It is, it is a life. Uh, it is about committing ourselves to walk in a new way, to go in a new direction, right? to follow Jesus. Jesus becomes the, the true north on the compass and, and we follow him. And so this will mean a, a totally transformed life. This will mean putting off old ways of sin 
uh, and putting on Christ, putting on holiness, putting on uh, obedience to his way. Uh, And so that is the ABC of repentance. You admit you're going the wrong way, uh, you turn to believe in Jesus and then you commit yourself to following his way. And so that's a good way to remember the gospel. And so this is how we seek to save the lost. We, we pray for them, we invite them to hear the gospel, and we are also ready ourselves uh, to teach it as we have that opportunity. And then finally, the final implication for us uh, from these parables today is that we must rejoice when sinners repent. Right, heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. And if we are those citizens of heaven already through the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are invited to join in the celebration. We are part of that. Uh, we must rejoice. Uh, this rejoicing is going to show what we value, what we love, what we seek and what we hope for. Right, and, and every single person who repents uh, is celebrated in the kingdom of God. Right, because that is, that is one more person who is transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. It's, it's one more person that Jesus has died for, who has come to life. Right? It is one more person saved from the horrors of hell for the joy of heaven. Right? It is one more brother or sister in the family of God. Right? That is a cause for great rejoicing. And so we should ask ourselves, do we share God's love for the lost? And do we share that joy when a sinner repents? We we will share that joy if our hearts are aligned with God's, Uh, when when we love what he loves, when we are seeking the things that he is seeking, then we will rejoice when the lost are found. Now, this is not something that comes naturally to us. Uh, The Word of God challenges us in this way. And so to finish now, let's pray that God would transform our hearts in this way uh, and he would strengthen us to seek and save the lost. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are firstly so thankful uh, for your love for us, uh, a love that uh, sent your Son to seek and save the lost and to die upon the cross for our sins uh, and to rise again and to begin this worldwide mission of seeking and saving all of us who are lost. And Father, we thank you for uh, that you have opened uh, many of our eyes to see Jesus and believe in him and commit ourselves to his way and we pray you would keep doing that. Uh, Do that today uh, for anyone um, who has seen you for the first time. Help them to turn from their sin and to believe in you for the first time. And Father, as you rejoice in heaven over sinners who repent, may we do that too. Uh, May that be the joy of our hearts. May that be the thing that we seek and long for. And Father, we pray you would do this uh, work in our hearts uh, and you might strengthen us to be those who continue to seek to save the lost until the Lord Jesus returns. And we pray this in his name. Amen.